ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hello and welcome back. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer. Another episode here of 1% Better. Zach, the, oh, let's say, free agency, the draft, uh, all this, even rookie minicamp in the rearview mirror. So I guess now there's nothing left to talk about, except. <laughs> hey, they found important. a replacement for Anthony Costanzo. <laughs> and uh, right. we, have, we have a special guest today to discuss it, to uh, really discuss that and a lot of other things. It's too bad there's nothing to talk about because we have a very special guest today. He is the guy basically who's pulling the levers for the team. And it is general manager Chris Ballard who's decided to join us today. And we can't thank him enough for, for joining uh, this little uh, sad little podcast we call 1% Better. <laughs> but uh, we appreciate him coming on today. Uh, lots to cover. Uh, so let's just go ahead and jump right in and bring Chris into the conversation. So we're here with Chris Ballard. GM of the Indianapolis Colts. You may have heard of him. Chris, welcome. We appreciate this so much. You apparently have nothing better to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no. Um, always always willing to, to come on the podcast, so thanks for having me. All right, great. Uh, hey, we just want to just uh, tackle one order of business before we get going on some other uh, relevant topics. Uh, you have agreed to terms, we think, with uh, left tackle Eric Fisher. You have a lot of history with Eric in Kansas City. Uh, so I know you know the player you're getting. Uh, what what did you or I guess what did you what do you know about Eric that you can share with with Colts fans that you know m- maybe help them know what to look forward to here? Um, all right. So no, I did. I was with Eric his first four years of his career, and um, and so I've, I've got to then I've watched him even grow even more. Um, you know, since I've been out of the building, but, you know, we're getting a good left tackle that works and, you know, plays the game the right way, the way we want to do, he's going to fit in really good with our, um, with our old line group. And, you know, we, we think he's going to help us. I mean, of course he's got to get through the, you know, the Achilles injury and we'll do the right thing and make sure that we got him healthy before we put him, you know, back on the field. Um, but we think, you know, we think that'll happen in due time and he'll be good to go at, at some point, I'm not going to put a time frame on it, um, but I think when he does, um, uh, he'll be a he'll be a very good addition to our team. Chris, from my end, you go into the draft, and we talked endlessly about the left tackle spot, right? And you said you can't just replace Anthony Costanzo. Night one goes by, no left tackle. Night two goes by, no left tackle, and then you didn't take one until the seventh round. And even at that point, you know, Will Fries might be a better guard in the in the in the pros. Was it just a matter of let's see how the draft goes and then let's weigh our options and move forward with what we have in front of us? Yeah. I mean, when we looked at the draft, we thought there were some a really good offensive linemen in the draft unequivocally. Um, and, you know, but we didn't think all of them were necessarily going to be left tackles in the draft, you know, for us. Um, so we could have, we could have taken an offensive lineman to appease everybody here for the next month or two. Um, and then when he didn't quite perform as well and ended up playing another position, we still had the void. So, and look, we, we're always going to, we're always going to try to take the best player we think at the time. Um, now if the need and the, if the need and the value of the players is the same, then of course we're going to take the need. But in the first couple of rounds, it didn't line up that way. 
And then, so, and then there was actually, now we didn't have a third round pick, you know, because of the Carson trade. Um, we actually, you know, looked at trying to get up in the third at, at some point. We just couldn't get it done. Um, people weren't willing to move because there was a couple offensive linemen we liked. Um, and then, you know, just a little, you know, some luck's involved. And, you know, every time we kind of had a guy targeted in the fourth and fifth, um, you know, guys that we liked, it just didn't work out. But, you know, we're excited about the guys we got in those rounds. Um, you know, Granson, especially after the last couple of days, you know, this rookie minicamp, we're really excited about uh, Granson, the tight end we took. We we think he's going to be really good and uh, did nothing to dissuade our thinking, you know, this past weekend. So sometimes a little luck's involved. Sometimes it's the, you know, what we see the player as versus what the public sees the player as. Um, that And then character. You know, I think you all know that, um, we're pretty strict on the character aspects of things and, um, the play, you know, we're pretty stringent, you know, in each and every round about who we're taking and making sure they're the right fit. Um, and we think the players we took are the right fit. I know that was kind of a long winded no, round goes in a million ways. Hey, that one a, question you just asked, I have the, a tendency the, to do that. The two months is a really good point. <laughs> if you draft a left tackle, everyone thinks you fixed the problem. No, he's got to be able to play. And that's that's the long view versus the short term. That's yeah, I, I totally get that. That's a that's a you know, I think that's one of the hardest things we deal with is that it's easy to just appease everybody in the moment and everybody's gonna be happy, but I you know, you're gonna get to October and November and they're gonna be looking up going, okay you drafted this player or you signed this player as a free agent and he's not what he's not what you said he is. And, you know, then we, now we've created two problems. You know, we've drafted a player that really doesn't fit us um, and he's not performing. And we passed up another player that we think could have been a good player. Yeah. You're definitely saying something about a guy, you know, when you draft him early, you're, you're making a statement about that guy and, and you along those same lines, you definitely made a statement picking Quiddy Pay where you, where you did. I think this was pretty clear from watching, you know, with the next pick video. You guys didn't think he would be there, or you did, you weren't sure at least. Um, just how? What was your level of surprise, and what did your internal projections suggest to you about yeah, Quiddy being there? You know, we, you know, we don't do a lot of mocking, but when you, you know, we just kind of line them up and we take them as we see them. Um, but there, it wasn't a lot of depth in the draft on the defensive line. So we had concern that those guys were going to go higher off the board, especially Quiddy. Cause he, cause Quiddy, not only has he got talent, he's got, he's got really real deal character, um, football and personal character. So we thought there was a chance he could, he could come off, you know, faster. And, you know, when he was there, it made it a, a pretty easy decision. One other thing on Quiddy, um, the the scheme he played in at Michigan because I think people get so caught up in sack numbers and I don't I don't care because college and and the NFL are totally different and what players are asked to do is different but is there is there going to be some difference between what he did at Michigan and the way y'all you guys will play him Quiddy told us he's going to be lined up out wide right defensive end go, go get the quarterback it sounds like it'll be very different yeah and I think I think college football is a little you know even back just the changes in the speed and how fast they go um, and then how fast they get the ball out. Like all, 
they're they're trying a lot of most of college football is trying to run a play every 25 to 30 seconds and then quarterbacks are getting the ball out so you're not seeing the sack numbers that you used to see out of players there there's still guys that do get that still produce um but we think putting him at right end um letting him get off the ball and get up the field is going to really help him we do think he can go inside and rush too um but you know right now we'll probably you know it's a big transition to our league um especially i i think both on the o line and d line because it's you know, you're you're facing guys that really that are big men that are you know the the physicalness of the position, both of those positions. Figuring out against these guys that with great technique, it takes a little bit of a learning curve um, for them to learn. Um, so we'll try to make it as simple as we can early and put him at right in and let him get up the field, let him attack and and play. Chris, you told a great story on the Cowherd podcast a week or two ago about. Your, your scouting days. And I think it was Nathan Vasher who you really liked. You were on him early. And I think you fudged his 40 time. It was more of a 38 yard time. What uh-huh. if one of your scouts pulled a stunt like that today? And I, and I wonder what those debates are like in the draft room where maybe the numbers don't add up to where you want this guy to be for this particular position. How do you guys hammer that out? There's so much gray area when you're hammering out a prospect. Yeah, it's, um, it's well you better be right you know (laughs) i mean like you can't you can't take those risks and not be right yeah but it's scouting you're not going to be right every time no and you're not and and with nathan um i mean the guy led the university of texas in interceptions he was the all-time i mean he might still be the all-time leader uh of interception at, at texas and he had great character and great instincts. And you saw it on tape and Ali just kept running a slow 40. Um, and today, nowadays, you know, we've got like, we've got a lot of technology that you get, we're, we're projecting a lot of in-game play speeds um, and which helps some, um, you know, the 40, look, the 40, look, we take numbers for a reason. Um, and we've done it forever and we've got all this data. So like the workouts matter, like history, history shows that what plays in this league, are there exceptions? Yes. We try to not be the exception team. And when we do have a guy that doesn't test as well, like back in the day, I know Bill Polian and then we're a big three cone team and they would send their scouts back out to get another three cone, you know, don't come back here until you get, the fast number on this guy, uh, a three cone. Um, and, you know, because we were limited this year, number wise, you could the last two years really that you couldn't go back out and retime. I mean, I can remember going back to schools two and three times trying to get the right numbers on guys uh, to get them right. Um, nowadays, it's a little different, but we have a little more technology to be able to get some in-game play speeds um, that helps offset sometimes when they run a bad 40. You already alluded to this a little earlier when you, you talked about uh, how you guys value character. And it is something we've heard you talk about from day one. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm interested in is because I, I do think it does seem like you guys put an, an enhanced, you know, make that one. It's an enhanced criteria for you. However, it doesn't seem at least like it's it's really hampered you in terms of finding talent. And I'm not saying that that there's a guarantee that that happens, but, but why hasn't it, I guess, or do you feel like there has been any uh, restriction on you 
uh, because you do value the character so much. Uh, how have you been able to balance that? Look, because of my background, I think I can save everybody. I do. <laughs> right. I mean, coaching at Kingsville, Texas, um, scouting with the Bears. Jerry Angelo used to tell me all the time, you think you can save everybody. And look, like sometimes, look, do we want them to be great in the community, great stewards for this organization? Absolutely. Um, are we going to be perfect in that area? Probably not. But what we're not bending on is if guys don't, they have to want to work. They have to want to be great to reach their ceiling. Um, they have to be good teammates. You know, those are things that we really vet. And when we have questions about it, we dig into it further to make sure um, what we're getting is as is as close to what we're saying we're getting. Look, you never know until you really get a player in, until you live with him. Um, you really don't know until you live with him. Um, but we want to get it as close to the hole as we can. And like there's the, the ability, this league's hard and they're going to fail. They just are. They're going to have failing points where they've got to have enough inside of them to be able to push through it and continue to work. And, and they have to have a real desire to be the best they can be. And they can't let anything get in the way. And then they got to be able to fit into the team. Like all that is very dynamic and com you know, complex. Um, and our guys do a tremendous job digging on that. So there's enough, like it's easy to draft talent. That's easy to do. Drafting talent with character, that that is hard. And it does narrow our list down. And there's guys that people would be shocked if they saw they were off our board, but they just don't fit us. That's okay. Doesn't mean they're not going to have a great career and they're going to be great players. They just don't fit us. Um, but with we think over the long haul, the more players you get that are like-minded in that way is going to build a better team over time. Chris, you mentioned Kingsville, and I, I find it interesting. I feel like that was such an important part of your, like, shaping how you see the game and players. And you were coaching the secondary, and you weren't making any money, and it's not a glamour program. What did you learn in Kingsville that impacts how you do your job today? Well, look, I mean, it wasn't a glamour program, but it was an elite program. I mean – and you guys won, and you would go recruit guys oh. against like UT, right? And and A and I remember right? Coach I mean, Harms. I still I still go back to Ron Harms. Don't settle, don't settle, don't ever settle. If you can't find somebody that's good enough, we're not just taking them to take them. We're not just giving a scholarship to give a scholarship. They got to be good enough to play here, and the standard was extremely high. Juan Castillo was the O-line coach. I'll never forget my first year. Juan Castillo had recruited Earl Dotson, who ended up starting in Green Bay for their Super Bowl team at left tackle. Uh, Jermaine Mayberry, who ended up being a first-round pick. George Diaz, who played in Tampa. Earl Dotson, who played four or five, lead, four, four or five years in the league um, at center. And all of those guys um, had some academic issues in high school that – Back in that, you know, 20, 25 years ago, the academic standards were different and we could get them into school in the Kingsville. So Juan would go recruit these, him and Don Pittman would go recruit these guys. And Richard Cundiff was a decorator at the time. And they would, between all those 
coaches, they would, you know, never settle. Let's go get the best player we can get. I'll tell you a story. I went in, so I was from the Galveston area. I'll never forget going in to recruit um, at Galveston Ball High School. Nick Voris was the head coach. And I asked Nick, I said, hey, can you get me the stuff on Casey Hampton? And he goes, Chris, he's, you know, he visited Texas, Missouri, and A&M Kingsville. Those were his three visits. And he ended up going to Texas and ended up having a, a great NFL career. But that's who we were going in and recruiting. We were not, and coaches would get a little frustrated, like our kid's not going Division II. I said, well, do you realize that, you know, we got a little different Division II program. Uh, that's where John Randall played. That's where, you know, that's where Daryl Green played. Um, we had all these NFL starters come out of there. At the time, we had, you know, Al Harris, who now is coaching for the Cowboys. Um, you know, he played 14 years in the league. Carl Williams played. I don't know, Stephen, if you were doing Tampa at the time when Carl. I remember him. Yeah. yeah, when Carl was playing, you know, we had Carl. We had Floyd Young was also down there. I mean, we had a roster full of NFL players. And we had 36 scholarships. I mean, that was it. So there was no kid on full scholarship. You know, it was partial, Pell Grant, each side of the ball, we split it up. I want to say it was 17 and 17, and then the other two went to specialist, and if we had something else. So learning how to really have standards, don't settle, and it kind of fit into the mold of the salary cap, even though we're just – I mean, it's semantics. I mean, it's it's all the same to me. I mean, we had 36 scholarships. We have $182 million this year. Like, it's just a bigger number. Um, but like the lessons I learned were invaluable during those seven years and like dealing with different athletes and people. Um, I, I mean, I just look how I grew up working at my dad's service station, then going to Kingsville um, and coaching those really talented, talented players. What I figured out was like, it didn't matter like who you were, how old you were, what color you were like, if you could make them better, they were all in. And if they knew you cared too, if they knew you cared and if they knew you could make them better, I, I don't care where they came, what kind of background they had. Um, you know, like I'm really like, like I have very fond memories of those seven years and they were not easy. It was division two. I didn't make any money. Um, but the relationships with the people and the, and the knowledge I gained from that seven years still lives with me today. That's great stuff. Uh, I'm so I'm wondering from going from 1990s or the late nineties to now 2021, you got Carson Wentz on your team. Now, obviously you have some staffers who know him very well. You, I assume did not know Carson very well. Uh, and I know he hasn't been around much maybe, but, but what have you learned about Carson? Just maybe Carson, the the guy, the football player, whatever in the last couple of months uh, that was enlightening for you, if anything. Well, all right. So I did not have a relationship with Carson, but I had, so actually, so we liked him in Kansas city. Um, I remember Brett Veach had done a lot of work on him and our scouts had done, but Veach, Veach, you know, was effusive about him. So we ended up doing a lot of work on him. And then Craig Bowl, who was his head coach, would actually recruited me uh, to Wisconsin. So I had talked to Craig a bunch about, you know, Carson coming out. So I had pretty good insight to what his thoughts were. And you talked to Craig this winter, I would assume. I talked to him after we made the trade. I talked oh, to Craig. 
but before when he was coming out in the draft, I talked to Craig a bunch about him. Um, I mean, look, if you think Craig, Craig's had Carson and he had Allen at Wyoming. I mean, Craig's done a heck of a job, you know, him and his staff getting good quarterbacks. Um, so, but I had insight into who he was, like everything we do in college, like it doesn't just end like all that information you gather comes over into the league. Cause you never know when it's going to be a crossover. You're going to have a chance to trade for a player. A uh, player gets cut. I mean, like all the background work and character work we've done all comes back in the fold again. Um, and now that he's been in the building, you know, I, I mean, he's been good. I mean, I don't, until we play, you know, until you get on the, it's no different than Philip last year. Like Philip, Philip was, he was, he was great, you know, to be around early, but until you actually get in a fire and see how everybody reacts around him and how he reacts, um, you don't know, but it's all been really positive. He works. He's passionate about the game. He wants to be great. Um, he's got a good personality and fun to be around. I mean, I don't, you know, all that, but we don't, we don't have any bullets firing yet. So until all that starts to happen, um, there's always a little unknown on my end, but Frank has been through the games with him, you know, through the developmental process. So his conviction is very strong. And I have a lot of faith in, in Frank. I remember last year, you know, when we had the long discussions about Philip and, you know, I had questions like, dude, can, can, can this guy really, can he still do it? And Frank like, here's what good coaches do. Um, and Frank, I mean, they put players, they let them, they allow them to do what they're good at. They put them in position to succeed because they, they figure out what they're really good at and they do it. And they don't ask them to do things that they're not real good at. And I think it'll be the same with Carson. I think Frank will put Carson in a position to succeed because he'll, he'll design plays that are good for Carson. You, the, the off season is not over. You're going to add players all the way up through camp. I would assume mm -hmm. you think you did enough to help Carson. I'm, I feel good about where we're at. I mean, you know, I mean, I think like one of the big things we wanted to do was depth on the O line. All right. So getting Holden last year. Yeah. Yeah. And when Holt and Holden actually played really well and held up well, then he gets hurt. And, but getting him at the end of last year, I think was really good. Um, getting Tevy in, which we think Tevy can play tackle and some other positions, getting Davenport, um, another year of growth from Penner, Reed, who we signed, bringing Hunt back. We think we've created really good depth. And now with the 17th game, I mean, you know, I think it was, what, is it 18 or it was 19? It wasn't 18. 19, we went through the whole starting unit. Nobody missed a game. Well, all right, that's not reality. And it's going to happen. Somebody's going to miss time. It's just, it's just the way this league is. So we needed to make sure we had enough depth on the roster. And so I think we did that. Then getting Fisher, we think gives us a legit, I mean, Eric's a legitimate left tackle in this league, a good left tackle. I mean, the guys played a lot of good football on a, on a highly successful offense that is in pass protection a ton and with very little help. And he has held up really well. Uh, I get the health questions. Absolutely. Those are, 
Those are legitimate and questions that should be asked. Um, we're thinking he'll get back. And when he plays, um, it'll be good football and we'll help him get there. But we're excited about that. And then it like it's almost like our wideouts always kind of take a shot. And all they do is is I mean, I think we were I don't know where we ended up last year, but we were one of the we were in the top, I know, five or 10 teams in the league in yard after catch. And, you know, it's a like we think Pittman is really was really growing. If he didn't have the, um, you know, the shin injury, we thought that that, you know, really set him back. But I thought you saw it in the playoff, you know, last few weeks of the season in the playoff game where he was outstanding. And we think he is just going to continue to get better. Um, you know, getting, getting T.Y. T.Y. can still play, you know, is T.Y. the same T.Y. that he was five years ago? Absolutely not. He's, but he's still a high level in player and he's instinctive and he knows how to play the game. And he's still a dangerous player that people got to account for. One of the most underappreciated players on this football team is Zach Pascal. I want to say he scored 14 touchdowns in the last two years. And all he does is show up each and every week and do the dirty work, never bitch, never complain. If I catch one ball for 10 yards, great. But you'll look up some games and he's caught nine for a hundred. I mean, the guy and every quarterback that's been with him liked him. Didn't Andrew come to you and say, keep oh, this yeah, guy I wanted around. To, I wanted to cut Zach after the freaking new England <laughs> game. I was all pissed off and smart guy. <laughs> and Andrew, I mean, Andrew telling me like, Chris, this guy can help us. He can play. Don't I, we can make this guy work. And Andrew was now. right. And Jacoby threw it to him. Philip threw it to him. Like every quarterback, they threw it to this guy. And, you know, and then we have Paris who I still believe in. And I do think Paris has special makeup. You know, a lot of kids probably would have really gone in the tank um, over the last two injuries. And like the first year was a little freaky, but last year, I mean, it was a legitimate knee injury, but he is rehab. He's back. He looks good. Um, needs a little luck to stay healthy this year, but I think he will. And I, I thought you saw it, the Jacksonville game, um, you know, that first game of the year, he was on his way to, to having, you know, to having a really big season. So we like our guys and that's, we have a young kid, Patman, that we think has a lot of talent. We kept him on the roster all year, even though he's only active one game. Um, but he's a big outside-the-numbers vertical threat. Um, and you add that with Ashton Doolin. We think we have good numbers um, at the position um, that can play. Um, at tight end, you know, Jack is Jack. Jack just shows up. and He's going to be here forever, produces. isn't he? He just shows up and blocks and – when you throw in the ball, he catches it, and it's always in big moments. And most kind of the same way. You know, I pictured the third – because where, where we were in Buffalo, um, where they had a, our – you know, we had a set up, was kind of in that end zone. And on a third and ten, when he caught that ball over the middle and you could see those big mitts just, uh, you know, engulf the ball. Um, but he has really come on. And, I mean, he, you got to defend Mo. You can't just – you got to defend him. He's a big man that is not an easy coverage. And then adding adding Kylan to the mix just offers us a little something different than what Jack and Mo do. Um, you think he can then, do something it, this year, Kylan? Yeah, yeah, we do. We think he's going to help us. 
we think Colin's going to help us. I mean, he's going to need natural developmental time like every player does. But, you know, we think he's athletic, explosive, fast. We didn't see anything the last two days that dissuaded us from thinking that it's going to be any different. Matter of fact, I was a little, even a little more excited um, after watching him move for two days. Um, so we think he's going to be a good addition uh, to the group. And so, and then our running back speaks, I mean, we're really talented at running back with Jonathan, the ability to get Marlon back, um, Naheem, Wilkins. Um, it's a really good group. And so we do think we've got enough. This has been, a, an, a, I guess, a, an adventurous, I guess, offseason, if you put, if you can put it that way. I mean, if I would have told you a couple of years ago, you're going to lose a quarterback, you know, a left tackle, you're both their starting ends. I mean, a lot of talent walk out the door. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of talent walk out the door and, and you have addressed all of those spots, you know, whether you've upgraded that will time will tell. Right. But, yeah. um, but do you feel like this was the best case scenario you, that what you've done was the best case scenario for given the circumstances? I guess time will prove that out. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, we're excited about getting Carson because we know his talent and quarterbacks are not hard to find. So really excited um, to get him. We know there are circumstances around how we were able to get Eric Fisher. Um, If Eric Fisher is healthy, he most likely there's a good chance he's either in Kansas City or even if they moved on, he's getting a a pretty big deal somewhere else. Um, And then to get into the draft, look, losing – Losing Autry and Justin, two good players. And, but there is, we knew financially that, you know, with Darius, with Braden, with Quentin, you know, we've got a lot of things to deal with with our own players. So we had to be, and especially when you add Carson, who's, who's making, you know, really good money, we had to be pretty prudent this offseason. I give Mr. Ursay a lot of credit where, with the cap being a little bit lower, not just a little bit. I mean, I think that's something that people need to keep in perspective. You know, we we were projecting this cap to 10 this year, and now it's at 182. You know, you're talking a $28 million hit here. And it's not even a year from now, you know. All right, so if it was 210, you were projecting 220. You know, you're not making that gap up. Right. It's going to take it's going to take four or five years for that gap is ever made up, you know, in terms of the salary cap. So we had to do some things here to keep these young players and and Mr. Ursay is willing to do it. And we'll balance it out over time. Um, Our cap, Mike Bloom's done a great job with our cap. Um, But, you know, financially, that was a that was hard for every team. Um, And look, we have not had to release anybody, which. Um, we're happy about, you know, we've been able to keep the primary, primarily the team intact, but, you know, unfortunately you can't sign everybody. And that's why being able to get two more young ends and add it to the group, like you can't have enough defensive linemen. You just can't. And the 17 games it's, and you see the way we play on defense. I mean, it is a all tilt out effort when you're out there playing. So to be able to add, you know, Dio and Equity to the mix, you know, of, you know, Lewis, Ture, Muhammad, Rochelle, Banigou, um, you know, Stallworth, 
all these other buck um, Grover, you know, we want to have nine, 10 guys over the course of the season that we can play. So I just don't think you can have enough good ends. And look, do I wish I could say that at every position? Absolutely. Like, damn right. I'd like to fill the team up with a bunch of corners um, or, uh, but like O-line, D-line is where the depth over the course of the season, if you don't have it, it is going to show up and it's, you can't replace them on the street. I mean, it is hard. Um, you, they don't big men. You don't just find them walking around the street in November. Yeah, fair enough. You've done this four years now going into your fifth season. I'm curious. And you probably spent a lot of years before that, you know, getting advice on what it would be like to be a GM. I'm curious. What's one thing that you know now that you couldn't have known before you took the job that you don't understand the day-to-day problems <laughs> that get put you, in wait, front You've of had you. problems here. I can't, I can't <laughs> think of any. You, you have no idea the day-to-day just problems that come up and you think it's just football. Like I would do anything to make it just football, you know, but it's just, I've heard say that it's the day-to-day stuff that you have to deal with that you have no idea that you were going to, you had no idea. Like there's no, there's not a book to train you on how to do this job. There's just not. Um, and I remember Jerry, like Jerry was great. Jerry Angelo was really special, man. And he was in a hard, hard market in Chicago. I mean, I love that city and it's a great place and the bears are a great organization, but it's hard on GMs. And, you know, you got to be able to withstand. And he used to tell me, he said, Chris, he goes, one of the hardest jobs, you know, of a GM and a head coach are surviving, you know, the day-to-day problems and mistakes that are made. And you've got to be able to to withstand it. And you can't get on this roller coaster emotionally um, and make emotional decisions because you're going to have them. Like you, they're like, even when I go into an off season and think, man, finally, you know, it's going it's, to, this is going to be a great off season. We thought season. that in 2019. And, and what happened? You know, hell breaks loose. So now, <laughs> I mean, I've just gotten to a point where I expect it something's going to happen and we'll just deal with it and roll, keep moving forward. Well, that, that actually leads me to another question because I remember the week you got hired, I think you and I sat down and we, you talked about, you used to keep, you know, that three ring binder of all your, your plans and it's all well and good, right? When it's on paper. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I got all these great plans and then you get punched in the face, you know, day after day after day. How have you I, I, how have you struck a balance between adhering to what you believe in and also dealing with what happens every day? Because, you know, it, it goes back to the conversation you had earlier about the draft and sticking to your principles there and, and not getting out of character. I mean, how, is that a struggle sometimes? And how do you sort of oh, walk that for line? me? It's I'm the worst. Like, all right. So I would tell you this. We got really good people like y'all have met them like I'm lucky. And I know it's not always going to be this way. I mean, I just, I'm preparing myself to start losing some of these guys, but they are just, I've got such trust and faith in them that they'll keep us centered and keep me centered to where we continue to make really good decisions. And it's throughout football and that, that helps us stay centered. And then when you work with Frank, who I think is really special as a head football coach um, and as a leader and as a man, 
And then philosophically, we have the we agree how the game should be played and what it should look like. That helps us stay consistent in what we're going to do through all the problems and through all the issues, like all this stuff, like the hardest relationship. And this is another Jerry. Jerry used to say it because like every everything is built and talked about to tear the relationship up between the head coach and GM. Like, you know, things that are said in the media, um, everything, but the tithes that bind you are your philosophy and respect philosophy for football and your respect for each other and how you do your jobs. And I think we have a very strong respect level for each other, both how we do our jobs and as people. And that makes, I mean, like, look, I care about Frank. I'm like, I want to do good for Frank and our staff wants to do good for our coaching staff. And I think it's vice versa. Do we always agree? No, no. Frank was in my office three days ago and we just had this huge pissing contest over something. And, but that doesn't you tell us like, what that was about. I can't tell you what it was about. <laughs> I also want but, to see Frank Reich get angry. I want to know what that looks uh, like. <laughs> oh no. And he don't, and like Frank doesn't, he's got great composure. He's the complete opposite of me. He's got great composure, but it's, like we don't, we can disagree and it's okay. Like it's okay to disagree. That's healthy. And if we're all agreeing, we're just, we're not making progress to get better. Like you can't, you can't get better unless somebody is telling you, um, Hey, you're, you're messing this up or there's a better way to do it. Like this week, I'm going to tell y'all this three weeks in May, is a hard three weeks because we have all we do all our evaluation stuff with our staff and I do it with my scouting staff and I sit in my office and get kicked in the balls for about and they're great and we get they criticize you oh yeah absolutely and like I get all, like I like it you know I want to like you need people that will tell you how to get better because that usually doesn't happen like you get like who else is going to tell you when you're like, these are areas that you really got to improve on, Chris. Like you need to work on these things. Like there's times I'll, I have such great trust in our people that I'll get a little disconnected and start doing other things. And I just trust that it's getting done. And I've got to, you know, they make sure they hold me accountable on it. Give me the scouting report for Chris Ballard, high school quarterback. <laughs> uh, um, competitive. Tough, could run, um, couldn't throw, um, not accurate. But you started you started at a high school in Texas. That's not, not easy to do. Yeah, not accurate. We ran the bone. We ran yeah, the wishbone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thought, thought he could play quarterback at the next level. And I didn't have near the arm. And I was not the accuracy. Like, I look back on him like, holy crap, I couldn't hit the side of a barn. Um <laughs> But I could run. Barry Alvarez that was told my you, gift. by the way. <laughs> yeah, I could run. That was my gift. Have you, on a related note, have you ever won a championship at any level? No, we lost. I've lost in the finals in college, coaching in college, lost in the Super Bowl. So, no. <laughs> that sucks. Been on a bunch of good teams, man. Bunch of good teams. Like, yeah. I think up to here, like 2017 – was the first 
I mean, I had to go back to like 2002, 2000, and, you know, right in that early in my career where we had just a bad record. You know, even in Chicago, you know, when we had those 05 and 06, we were great. Like we had great teams. Um, seven, I think we were seven and nine. They were like eight and eight, eight and eight. Then went to the AFC championship game or yeah, NFC championship game. Then we, then we finished 10 and six, 10 and six in 2012 and they fired Lovey. And then I went to Kansas city and, you know, we won every year. So it had been since like 2007 when I was, we were seven and nine. And then, I mean, I've only been a part of in the NFL, I don't know, four or five under eight and eight, not many but never won a Super Bowl or a championship. The next job is going to be to find a way to pay the guys right above your right shoulder. I see that photo in your office. I don't know how you're going to make oh, it yeah. work, but um, I would assume that's, that's we'll make it work. roughly on the horizon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are always fun. <laughs> <laughs> good, good problems to have, right? Good problems yeah. to have. That's the problem when you, draft, when you draft those guys. Especially when it's done. Um, hey, uh, I, I guess we'll let you run here. Uh, we've kept you for a little bit, but um, – this was awesome. I, I guess let me just let me just say this. Uh, let me just ask this in closing. Uh, what do you want the hallmark of a Chris Ballard team to be? And, and I know it's not about you, but, but you, you know, know you're, you're the guy pulling the levers. You're putting the team together, and um, and your dreams. You know, what is that? What does the team say about you? The team that you construct. Yeah. So that's a really good question. So well, let's just there, take right? it. No, let's just athletic, fast, and physical, and discipline. Like, those are things that when people, you know, put the tape on, I want them to say, wow, it's just, those are the things they see from our players. Um, and then, but even, even more than that, you know, the – the impact that our players are like, I want them to be themselves. Like I don't want them to be robots. I want them to have fun. I want them to enjoy coming to work. I want them to connect and enjoy playing together. And I want to, you know, when people watch our team play, I want them to see the joy that they play with because they love playing and they love playing with each other. Like the one thing we, we really emphasized is, you know, how precious each season is. And the relationships and connections that you make with each other are are special and lifelong bonds that can never be broken. Um, so I hope that our fans and people, when they watch our teams play, get that out of it that they that they can feel that because we want them to feel that. I think maybe that's why I've been pretty open. I mean, I, y'all two know me well enough to where, like, if you ask me, I'm going to tell you, and I want to. Br- I want that connection with this, with our organization and with our teams when they watch it, that they feel that. And then they feel like they have a real connection, you know, with our players because they've been exposed to them. That's what sucked about last year. Like it sucks that our city didn't get to know Philip Rivers other than what they saw, you know, on, on, on the field. Cause he was really a special, special guy. And that team was really special, man. We were freaking good. Like I, it's we got beat and I get it, but that was a good freaking football team. And they, they overcame a lot of stuff in COVID to do some really cool things last year um, that it sucks that not everybody really got to experience 
they got to see it on TV, but it's just different. Like, like when you go to training camp, when you, when you get to go to games during the season, when you really get to live through that process, I think that's where there's a real connection. And, and I don't want to say there was a disconnect at any point, but I just think the more we give to our community and let them see the more connected they're going to be. Um, and I know not everybody thinks that way, but um, we're not giving, come on, man. We're not like, like we're not giving away, we're giving away game plans here. This this game ain't, let's don't overcomplicate it. Who, who blocks and who tackles and who doesn't screw the game up on Sunday is usually who wins the game. I mean, we're not giving away trade secrets here. So I know that was a long answer, but I, I could probably go on for an hour talking about what I, what the vision is, at least in my own head, um, of what I want this city and this state, not just the city, but the state to see out of their, out of the Colts. And I think it is important because I, I believe that we're a dry, you know, look, we do influence. We do have influence in a lot of areas, not just playing, but socially. Um, and also with a, we can make a huge difference in people's lives each and every week um, in a bunch of different ways. And we take, we, we take that very serious, man. That is a delicate thing that is very serious to us. And I credit our ownership, Jim, and I credit Frank for, for standing up and always doing the, just do the right thing. Just do the, Jim tells me that all the time. Just, Chris, just do the right thing. Um, and we hope that bleeds over and into our community and fans. That's awesome. Well, um, congratulations on scratching something off your bucket list. I know that uh, this was always pretty high on the list. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> it wasn't until I asked, I guess, but uh, <laughs> three days ago. So there's that. Yeah. Well, thank y'all. Well, I appreciate y'all for having me on. Thanks, Chris. Hey, thanks for coming. All right, guys. Good Take to care. see y'all. Well, Zach, uh, that did not suck. Um, you know, the, the one thing I love about Chris Ballard is. Look, you can agree, disagree, whatever. You can think he's great. You can think he's terrible at his job. I don't care what you think. But you cannot say is that uh, he's a bad human being. He He's honest. He's transparent. I think he, he at least tries to be most of the time, right? And I think what you see is what you get. I mean, yeah, I any, mean any issue there? <laughs> it, it never changes. It's never like he's hot one week and then he's really yeah. cold the next week. It's There's no pretense. He's been the exact same for four years, both in public and in private. We've dealt with him a lot in private in some very interesting moments, to say the least. I mean, I remember, you know, watching him the day that McDaniels bailed on them, saying, whoa, this guy's got some metal. You know, that was the first real yeah. Chris Ballard moment. I think in Indy, there's the luck stuff. There's a couple other things. We won't get into all of it. But um, from our perspective, he lays out what he thinks. And as a fan, you can agree or disagree, like you said. But at least you understand his thinking. And, I mean, we're going in the draft room on Thursday. We're going to watch tape of each prospect they drafted. And whether these guys all turn out to be great or not remains to be seen. They probably uh, won't. They'll, they'll miss on a couple guys. But it helps us as reporters and it helps the fans who will read the stories understand what the team's thinking was as they scouted these guys. I remember watching tape with Quentin of Quentin Nelson with it. Remember that he was, mm -hmm. he was like, look at this guy. It, like you could feel this guy. And then we saw that right away in the first practice at training camp. So if you're a fan, you want this kind of candor. And I think it just helps us become smarter reporters and, and the fans out there understand what the team is thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that what, what was the biggest takeaway? Do you think just, you know, just to, 
to put a bow on on what he said. I mean, there were a lot of things, some of them not hard hitting and just interesting. Some of them, yeah, you know, a little more insightful into the process and all that. I, I don't know. I, I I will say one takeaway I had, not a huge thing, but it's not something he had said before. Was they had some offensive linemen targeted in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. They just couldn't get it done. So that was a that was a little bit of a revelation. I thought. Um, well, anything on your end? Yeah. I find the Kingsville stuff interesting and how he stays as a low-level scout and how he climbed. But I thought your question at the end was really interesting because it made him stop and think for a minute, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you want the Colts to be when when you're done with this or five or six or ten years into this? And he said, you know, he kind of gave his his long-winded spiel on, like, what he wants his team to be. You can see that. It's not there yet, but you can see them getting towards that. You can see these guys having fun. You can see free agents being attracted to this team guys like Darius becoming the face of the franchise. Um, and you see, you saw the picture on his wall. It's, it's Nelson and it's Darius and pretty damn good draft picks to start out your second year. Yeah, no question. So anyway, we, I think a couple of you asked on Twitter when we'd have a podcast, we said we'd have a special guest. So I hope that, hope that, uh, you know, was to your liking. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if we can do better than that. Right. So next week we'll hey, have Peyton. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll step it up. We'll really step it up. No anyway, we appreciate Chris coming on. Uh, he was he was great about that, and uh, as he always is. And we appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, uh, look, you know, there's not many of you left out there. But for those for the handful of you that aren't, um, I don't know what you're waiting for. So uh, go to uh, theathletic.com uh, slash one percent better, and uh, lots of deals and specials there for you. So we appreciate all of you. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer, and thank you for listening to One Percent Better.